Ladies and gentlemen, it is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. It is a blustery, blustery Tuesday here in Colorado, but the Ghost Lights podcast keeps forging on. Tonight, our special guest is Paul Page. Papa Tiger, say hi. Howdy, everybody. Woo! It's so good to have you here. Me and Dorothy Gale. That's right. We blew on down the road. (laughs) Boy, it's windy out there. Holy cow. Yeah. I hope hope you got your trees still standing. Um, If you do, um, follow us on Podbean and iTunes. Download our theme song, War, by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Um, I love that, by the way. It's a great track. Yeah, it's awesome. It's um, the song that's in uh, The Hunger Games, the Stanley Tucci show within the show. Yes. Yeah. So like right when he's coming on. Yeah. Um, I like great, to great choice. Yeah, I like to get people amped up when we're talking about theater. Those are the best things. The theater. The theater. The arts, as it were. The theater. Mm. How are you? I'm great. Nice. Things I... are great. There's a lot happening. As I just filled you in a little bit off, off, uh, not off camera. Off record. Off mic. Yeah. Off, off the mic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, life is good. Mm. Um, 2018 is. All about my, my my action word for this year is expansion. Expansion. I like that. We are both, Eugene and I both are expanding our careers. Mm-hmm. Um, life is good. My family situation is great. Nice. My kids are awesome. They're both in great relationships. And mm-hmm. life could not be better, frankly. That's fantastic, Paul. Yeah. It's so glad that I was able to bump into you at the... Uh, was the St. Patrick's Day party at the it Cowden? It certainly was. Yes. Shea Cowden. Shea Cowden. We got we got ourselves a, a nice little buzz. We we, we, we ate some uh, we ate some Scottish food and now we we're did. Here. It no? was quite a good time. It was really and we awesome. have Richard Cowden to thank for kind of. I knew who you were. Yeah. And I had met you and I'd seen you on other shows, but I had never worked with you mm-hmm. until Mr. Cowden put us together and that little skit. What was the name of it? I think it was a bagel Something tiger about bag, tigers. Yeah. 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 Rajiv. Which we ended up doing twice. Yeah. Which was one the of the... Flew us out to Vermont because we're so damn good. Best experiences of my life. Yeah. It was just an insane experience. Absolutely. I, I never thought theater would take me anywhere like that. It really... It truly... It, it really changed me. I mean, mm. it really um, took me to a new place because I've been doing this for like a hundred years mm. and... You look great for 100. I know. Well, I'm only 110. Mm. But um, I started as a child. Um, You know, can I just tell you my... Do it. Okay. So... Do your whole thing. This sounds very superficial. But, you know, they sent me the script. (laughs) Rich actually emailed me the script and said, The Edge is on board. This is at the Edge Theater. Mm. The Edge is on board with precasting you if you like this. I want to offer this to you. And I read it and I called him up and I said, what the actual hell mm-hmm. is this play about? It, I, I said I was, at the first read, mm-hmm. I really was baffled about. I couldn't see it coming to life. I also couldn't see myself mm-hmm. doing it. And even after I went to callbacks and read with people, mm-hmm. and even after we started rehearsal, I just, there was always something in the back of my head that I thought, I, I guess I had some insecurity about he was so, you know, um, down and dirty and blue collar. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't often get cast in the blue collar, dirty fingernails mm. kind of roles. I get the white collar, doctor, professor, dad, best friend, next door neighbor, you know, yeah. professional guy. 
in a suit. <clears throat> and um, I checked in with Rich Cowden and I just said, I don't know. Mm. Uh, this, he said, look, I, I would not have, you didn't even have to audition. I knew you could do this. That's yeah. why I asked you to do it. And he slowly but surely helped me understand who this guy was. And the bottom line was like literally a week before we even opened. You probably don't even know this. Mm. But I just went to him and I said, something is, uh, uh, something's still missing in, mm. in here. I don't, I'm not fully connected with him yet. And uh, yes, I understand why and what and what mm -hmm. and, and relationally on stage, why I'm saying this to, to, uh, to the different characters. But he just said, hey, carry this around in your back pocket. If this, if this cat was a human, mm -hmm. he would be a recovering alcoholic mechanic, probably Vietnam vet, mm -hmm. really downtrodden. And I went, huh. I had a light bulb moment. I had an aha moment. And that's really kind of all I needed was to him to give me that little, little bit of extra yeah. character enriching and it just made the, a world of difference it's, yeah. we all you experienced it as well yeah. the response we have was so phenomenal and so positive yeah. and then to take it and then to be a year later mm -hmm. like almost to the date almost to the day literally it was like the week we closed at the end of September and mm -hmm. this was the first week of October because yep. no. we actually flew out on Eugene's birthday because yep. remember we had birthday for him out mm -hmm. there it was just and a beautiful scenery. I mean, just one of the best experiences of my life. I would do that show. There aren't many shows, and you will, I'm sure, agree with me. There are some shows you do because of the experience you had with the director or the rest of the cast, where you kind of go, "Okay, yeah. I laid that to bed, and now I'll just put that script on my shelf mm -hmm. and look at the pictures on Facebook." But then there's a handful of shows where the experience is so special and so. We all were so well connected with yeah, each other. Yasmin and I mean, just a yeah. great group. I would do that show in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Heartbeat. Absolutely, Rich. If you're listening to this, yeah, Rich. Um, feel free to remount it. Right. Bring Work us it to out. You, you're teaching in, at another university in Fort Collins. I'll drive up there. Hello. It's I'll, better than Vermont. Definitely. Closer. I can, I can sleep in my. I can <laughs> sleep in my Impala. We can make this happen. Um, the the play we're talking about is. Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. Rajiv, and Rajiv Joseph. Rajiv Joseph. And it's and I loved that play so much. And you're absolutely right, though. I think it's great that he gave you that note about the the human manifestation of the tiger who you played. But there's... He provided, through, through his lens, the tiger did, this great perspective on humanity and the, the why we seek God mm -hmm. or a relationship with a God. I think it's a better way of, of explaining it. And he does so with this self-deprecating bitterness that is also humorous. Right. And it, just asking these questions that I think we all ask. And then without spoiling too much, I love it how we, when we get to the end of the play, it just, okay, I'm not going to get these answers. I'm just going to do what I know. I, and I also love that he becomes, I think, even in death, mm -hmm. appearing as a ghost. Sorry if I'm giving this away, people. But um, they need to I think he becomes even more human. Yeah. And, and that's why I think it worked. As Rich and I worked through that huge monologue, mm. um, I think that's why it worked for him to have kind of a little bit of an emotional breakdown about the little girl yeah. with half her head. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, I just loved that. I was getting kind of chills just <laughs> rethinking how powerful that show was. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite moments about that is when I think, like, I don't know if I shared this with anyone or if we actually did talk about it, but when you talked about the girl missing with the part of her head missing, like, that was my character's sister. Like, that's who I immediately internalized, mm. internalized right. it as. And, that, <laughs> and it just, and it, and there were so many of those moments that these shared, like, oh my God, that's what that is. Oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, that's so painful. And we were all on that same page from Every start to finish. Every single person. Yeah. I mean, and primarily, you know, my, my main scene partners were you and Kevin mm -hmm. Lowry. And we just had, you both were so open and so willing. And I just, ugh. It yeah. was a dream. Definitely. That whole final scene being with you, it just, ugh. Oh, it that scene gets me. Yeah. This world. And then, and then taking it to Vermont and having... <laughs> Having dis, a disjointed remounting rehearsal schedule <laughs> with a cast member who wasn't able to join us yeah. in Vermont. So we never even met this person yeah. until we got to Vermont and had what? Um, five two, minutes of yeah, rehearsal. Yeah, five minutes early. We, we put it together and the audience just was flooded. Loved it, loved it. It's a, it's a I crazy think the only play. flub we had in Vermont <laughs> was the, the transition after a scene with me and Nathan Bach and... He zigged when I when oh, I right. zagged because we also were changing the sets around. Yep. Or did you literally run into each we other? We literally, I I got up <laughs> out of my chair and we headbutted each other. So he cut my lip. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, and so I, I did the entire rest of the first night of the play with like this swollen lip. And going like this. <laughs> oh, I do remember that. Yeah. Now that you did the face. <laughs> yeah. The, the face I'm making is quite an attractive one. It'll yeah. be on my Tinder account shortly. <laughs> Absolutely. Swipe, 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 swipe. Yeah, to the right. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Paul, we, we that's our, our shared, shared experience. Yes. Share something with the rest of our audience. <clears throat> Theater, acting, how did it happen? Where did it well, start? I, when you were 10 years old. No, that's yeah. untrue. <laughs> I did my first play at the age of 13 at my school, at my church. Ooh. Growing up in Lisbon, Ohio, population 5,000, little white picket fence, Peyton Place kind of town. Mm. Very pretty, good people. I'm a lot more interested in larger, exciting, energy-filled places now, but I played Pigpen in oh. Charlie Brown's Easter, an original play called Charlie Brown's Easter. So I kind of got bit by the bug at that point. And then in college, I enrolled at Kent State University as a speech major with a French minor. And after the first semester of college, I decided to audition for a play, Lanford Wilson play called No Place to Be Somebody. Hmm. And I was cast in a supporting role, of the first in a long line of many character roles. I was a judge. I was 20 years old, and I got cast as the judge, and of course had to get the shoe polish out and gray my hair. Um, but I was bit. I was. I changed my major to theater by the end of my first year, and then just did show after show after show in college. And then I worked for a year. I graduated in um, 1977 from college at Kent State and then worked for a year back in my hometown and saved up money. Moved to New York City in the fall of 1978 with $800 in my pocket. And in 1978, I had two roommates. We found a gigantic duplex apartment on Riverside Drive 
duplex, hardwood floors, spiral staircase on Riverside Drive at 94th, two blocks literally from the one, two, or three. <clears throat> and I think it was like, there were three of us total roommates. I think we, we paid like $300 each. Oh. I think it was like $900. It was oh. 1978. Oh. Now, yeah. one of my then roommates, I moved out and the other friend moved out and my roommate bought the place in the early 80s with proceeds from a family's member's death. Uh -huh. She inherited some money and the building went co-op and she had the opportunity and she snapped it still lives there. That is where I stay when I go to New York. Oh it's my the God. same apartment I lived in in 1978. Wow. Yeah. I must transport you to a different world it's every time. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then <clears throat> her, the last couple of times we've been there, um, it's been an interesting experience because, <clears throat> boy, that wind is messing with my cords. <clears throat> it's not like I'm swallowing. <clears throat> there we go. There um, It's just been... It's to see it evolve and being in that apartment. It looks a lot the same, but the people, the flow of people have come and gone through it. And my friend now lives there alone. Unfortunately, her husband passed away mm. two years ago. Um, so now going back and being there in that environment is feels completely different. So, my gosh, that's almost 40 years ago, Sarah. That's crazy. Some of my friends like you weren't even born yet in 1978. <laughs> um, no. That's kind of where I started. I, I did the New York thing for 10 years, mm. and I did um, some off-Broadway stuff and a lot of readings. I did summer stock, so I would go away in the summer and do the the requisite uh, Oklahoma, Annie Get Your Gun, you know, all the big musicals that sell tickets. And then I started getting into soaps. I got a, had an agent who really felt I um, should learn more about the difference between acting on stage and acting in front of a camera. Um, it's like, as you know, I know you know, mm. night and day. But even the world of soap operas, it's even it's like another layer of weird because you and I both know we're trained to feel it and have it absorb your psyche, and you know you develop this character over time through the rehearsal process with your director you get to know who this person is and then you get we get to share it mm -hmm. with a live audience soap operas they send you the script the day before and say okay you have this page you're the doctor that comes in and says we need you and you know i have to go it's time for your surgery you know whatever mm -hmm. and then you have to stand there in the exact correct spot with little pieces of tape on the ground so it was always hard for me because I wore contacts a lot, but if I was going to be on set for a long time, I wouldn't wear anything. Mm. So without glasses or contacts or anything, I'm like, oh, I missed my tape. Oh, I get. It's very technical. It's very turn to the left two inches because the light isn't exactly right on your face. Yeah. After a couple of years, it was fun, and I made I made all my my benefits um, through Aftra. I worked on all my children for like two years, off and on as a doctor and one life to live i did another world i did a lot on another world i got to do uh, what ended up airing as a two episode thing uh, we shot it in one day it was 12 hours we shot it in one day with liberace oh. and jack a harry huh. and um who was uh, the other woman that is really famous now gosh i can't think of her name this is back in the 80s and great experiences great memories mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I was one of the few actors that I had my own tux and they liked the way I looked at it. And I had the 80s kind of, not really a full mullet, just a like semi-mullet, mm -hmm. a little bit over my collar. Uh, kind of the Rick Springfield look, you know, yeah. the big hair on top. Mm -hmm. So I got hired a lot just because I had my own tux. Nice. And I was taking classes in soap opera technique which really, again, felt very foreign for a long time. Mm. And then I w would go in a lot for on-camera stuff, but I had a lot of casting people tell me, oh, you have a scar on your lip. That doesn't, mm, that doesn't read, that doesn't work. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Dude, I'm an actor. I, I know how to feel something and express it. So, um, so after a while, the superficial, the superficiality of... Um, how image conscious mm -hmm. television is. I think it's totally changed now oh. uh, with all the crime shows because a lot, all, almost all of them are shot in New York Law and Order mm -hmm. and CSI. So they now want a lot of my New York actor friends I see mm -hmm. on those crime shows. So I'm hoping there's still time for me to Absolutely. get on one of those. I, feel, I mean, the, the game hasn't <laughs> passed you by. You I don't got skills. You know, <laughs> you, I'm sure you saw this. Somebody posted on Facebook, and you know, Eugene and I both um, subscribe to this philosophy that there is no expiration date for your dreams. Mm -mm. Your dreams are your dreams. It's up to you to do something about them. So Absolutely. that's why I mentioned at the beginning this yeah. year is about expansion. Oh, yeah. As yeah. we speak, Eugene is in New York, mm -hmm. went to his first audition in 13 years, and booked it. Yeah. First audition. So he's kind of paving the way and getting things ready for me to be the next one to come out there and um, take it by storm and you should. let them see who I am. Well, truly, Maybe I can find a production of Bengal Tiger. Who knows? If you can, fuck yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> Lowry, are you listening? He better be. Please be listening. He was like Lowry. our third guest. That motherfucker better be subscribing, listening to okay. all of it. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I got to do the Cardi B. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. SNL? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw that, too. Oh, God. I that love it. It was very funny. I have fallen in love with this woman. I don't know if Cardi B is, like... She's funny. If she's... Yeah. She's so funny. I don't know if she's, like, just, like, super self-aware and doesn't take anything seriously, or if she is kind of dense. Or she has no filter. Yeah. Or if she just doesn't have a filter. I think I think it's a little bit of A and C. Yeah. Like, she just doesn't have a filter, and she's extremely self-aware. Yeah. She knows that she's... A showman, yeah. and I, 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 I love you, Cardi B. If you're yes. listening, follow, and I subscribe, hope she is. and Dang it. I will totally babysit your kid because you're awesome. <laughs> um, when your when your baby arrives, <laughs> what was it that <clears throat> bit you, that 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 turned you on? I think it's the fact that um, just the process, like I was mentioning earlier, mm -hmm. the rehearsal process to is obviously a different experience for every actor because of the of the director mm -hmm. but the rehearsal the director i had for the, that first show that bit me that lanford wilson script was so intelligent and so thought-provoking and so inspirational and i would literally just daydream and dream and wonder who this person was and then the first audience opening night the response that's what did it i went okay this people are clapping their hands, and some of them are even standing. Mm -hmm. That validation feels really good. Yeah. Because I always knew I had it in me, but may they all rest in peace, my deceased family members from Lisbon, Ohio. God-fearing, 
compassionate people, mm -hmm. albeit conservative, um, not supportive. Mm. Kind of begged me not to choose mm. a life of theater because I would fail. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think there was also a part of me that was never really defiant because I'm the oldest of three, so I was the example. I was the good boy. I was the I, you know, hmm. had to look good for my younger brother and sister. And I just think there was a part of me that, looking back, loathe is many years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> that when they said, "Oh no, don't please don't don't change your major. Don't don't get into theater as a profession," I, I was just like. Watch, I think I'm going to do this mm. because you don't think I... And it wasn't that they said, you're not talented enough. You don't have it in you. They just were like, we don't want to see you struggle. Yeah. We, it's a hard business. We it, Very few actually make it. And for many years, and I will admit this, although it's personal, <clears throat> for a long time, I think my original time in New York, all I could focus on was I wanted to be famous. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be well known. Then I came to Denver in 1988, 30 years ago, and my my personal life took a turn and I, and things changed. And as you you know, both of my children, they're wonderful people. Um, that took took me in a whole different direction for a couple of years, and I kind of gave up theater. Then I went back to it and started getting cast at the Arvada Center. I did a couple of shows down at the DCPA, although not for the theater company, mm. but at other venues, the Galleria and other places. Uh, and I cared, I started to, I don't know what the turning point was. Please mm. don't ask me. I won't. <laughs> what was the turning point? Uh, I mean, I really can't tell you this is what happened. Mm -hmm. But through time, and I think it was a, a, a matter of being cast in... Um, Productions with a budget and uh, with intelligent, thought-provoking directors and meaningful stories and 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 character. And then I started getting leads and doing stuff at the edge and things like that. I think at some point I started to care more about um, just continuing to work mm -hmm. and challenge myself and grow. Yeah. We never, never give up. Yeah. Wanting to learn and grow, Absolutely. I am. I still in my in my dotage <laughs> as I lean on my cane. Um, I know I make myself sound like some old fart, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, now it's all about doing good work. Now I'm, I looked at 2018 and said, now it's literally about being a working actor mm -hmm. and making my living as a working actor and letting go. And I say this with all the gratitude in the world I have done office support work for 37 years since 1981 when I was in New York mm -hmm. and I would go back and forth and I, I was very lucky for many years to be able to find office jobs that would be flexible with me when I would get shows at the Arvada Center and I'd have to be gone and rehearsal and they'd let me come back and they'd let me take time and you know whatever really really fortunate I'm incredibly grateful now that my children are older and in their 20s and have partnerships and lives and, and and really you know a bright future for their own 
I think it's time for me mm-hmm. <laughs> to get what I want and do what I want and focus on becoming a working actor that is literally supporting myself and my spouse That's awesome. as an actor and letting go of the, the office work. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's been awesome. It's very draining. It's very time consuming. It's mm-hmm. very distracting. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm ready to move on. And, and, and I, I put that out to the universe pretty much every day. That's great. <laughs> yes, you should. Um, I, I am a man that is bounced around, especially of late, from day job to day to day job, day job to day job to keep my my habit alive. To keep to keep. You mean acting. Yes, what the, we're doing? The recording? Um, no, I mean the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I love it. You have a great set, warped sense of humor. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no. Um, let me get the let me get that powder off the table. No, it's the theater, and and so obviously, and, and this is kind of a byproduct. the the po- The podcast I'm referencing is a byproduct of my desire to be involved in theater. But it, there is a part that I'm now, as I reach the the dotage of thirty five, where I'm like, okay, is the job becoming a crutch? To to being this all the time, the day job, the thing that's put a roof over my head, that's kept me going, um, right now, the day job I currently have, doesn't make it, especially in Denver. Mm. And so now I'm in a point where, I mean, I just saw a thing that was shared on Facebook today, since 2010, I think, like, rent has gone up 48%. It's incredible. It's insane. And <clears throat> um, depending on the job you have, you can't even afford a studio apartment anymore. It's kind of like New York, yeah. really, in that way, in, in terms of the real estate. So it's you've got to make a decision. Yeah. Like, are you going to be are you going to be poor and happy? Yeah. Or are you going to be poor in a studio with? Well, a, you, well, you know, I went out with health insurance. I went out to New York because I lost. I, I had this pattern, and you're looking back, it's probably was the universe saying, what the hell are you doing? You don't want to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Be happy that you got laid off. So I've been laid off from two corporate jobs for very large companies twice. ING, which is now Voya, mm-hmm. uh, and then I worked for Quest, which is now CenturyLink. So both of those jobs were, while I had them, they were flexible. I did theater at the Arvada Center. Um, they let me take time. That I had to use my PTO usually to do it, but they all it, they supported me by coming to see it. Mm-hmm. It was challenging because my kids were younger and I still they weren't driving yet, and I still had to get up at six a.m. every day and get them to separate schools. They never went to the same high school, and um, and then work a day job and then go do eight shows a week. So for a while it was really really challenging i can't the last time i did that was um, white christmas at the arvada center great experience lovely time it's as you know because you've worked there it's so great that all you have to do is just show up and know your lines and nothing else oh here here we're giving you socks we're giving you underwear we're giving i mean you don't do anything Mm -hmm. provide anything well your makeup i guess but um, that was challenging, and because I still had to get up and do the day job because mm-hmm. they do eight shows a week, and I kind of said to myself after that, I'm not gonna do another eight show a week schedule until I can let go yeah. of the the corporate routine, being a slave to someone else's schedule. Totally. So I'm ready to Good. do that. 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's but awesome. I went back to New York. See, I was out in New York in 2011 from January to April. The circumstances were not right. My personal life was not in the right place that it should have been. I had I was on unemployment from being laid off at the Quest yeah. job. So I was still collecting unemployment. My health care coverage through COBRA ran out while I was in New York, and I got sick, got a severe sinus infection. Luckily, the, the Actors Fund um, through equity helped that. Um, but, you know, my, I missed my kids, and I missed this insane weather, not the wind. Mm -hmm. um, it just, and I was alone. Mm -hmm. And I was not as healthy, I was heavier, I was not, I just was not as mentally or physically as healthy. Now I feel like it's time. Yeah. It's time to do it again. And then, you know, I'm sure there are naysayers out there that think, you're in your 60s, I mean, why, why would you, why don't you just settle back into the rocking chair and... Mm -hmm. No. No. Papa Tiger don't play that. No, Papa Tiger don't play no shit. Hell no. Mm -mm, mm -mm. So I want what I want. And yeah. I want to be a working actor. And I want to do good, challenging new work with collaborative people. Definitely. That's what I want. Huh. You on board? Uh, absolutely. Okay. You should. So we'll raise some money, remount Bengal Tiger mm -hmm. in New York. Let's do it. I, I I'm there. Up. Lowry's already there. Lowry's already there. He didn't have to worry. I can sleep on his couch. Let's make this happen. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hmm. Has when you when you got started and, and forgive me, you've been at the you're a KG vet now. You've been <laughs> at this for a while. Has any of the mystique that was there worn off, or is it still this beautiful magical art? I think it's a, a combination. Uh, yes, to answer mm. in one word, yes, mm. there is still mystique because each project is different, and each character I look at with fresh eyes. Mm. Um, and I, but what's what's stronger and more stable and more predictable is my technique and my approach. Although I don't don't ask me to define it, I okay. just kind of do it. <laughs> don't ask me, Sam. Um, <laughs> I, there like is mystique because of the uniqueness and the availability and the variety mm -hmm. of the types of roles that are still out there. And many people think that as you get older, it, it limits it. it. A, I don't think I, I, I okay, I'm not going to be completely boastful. I have been told by those in the industry and friends as well, I don't look my age. So mm -hmm. I can still pull off, you know, a character that's 10 years younger than Absolutely. my actual Earth age, <laughs> or my Mars age. <laughs> Your carbon date. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think there's still mystique because I, I want it, I want it there. Mm -hmm. I, I'd be sad if I wasn't drawn to it for the same, it still feels alluring. Yeah. You mean from that perspective, yeah, is that what yeah. you mean? Yeah. Or is it just like, ugh, yeah. it. Well, I it's shot like, myself. Oh, I'm on now. I have to go on. It's a combination. I've, 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 I've. There have been times where, just in my career to this point, where I've vacillated from eagerness to it's a job to something in between, and yes. then back to eagerness again. Totally and, agree. And I, of late, thankfully, that's changed. Well, don't you think part of it is though that when we're offered a contract to do a particular show, if it's something that we've been obviously 
clamoring to do and dying to do and waiting for the right opportunity to do. Yes, mm -hmm. we're hungry in a different way. But I've been cast in um, stage projects that I wasn't completely sure going in mm -hmm. how it was going to turn out because I, 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 I think there were some productions which I won't name because you would know them and mm -hmm. it could not won't be flattering. Don't that's not I get was, fired. I, Rubik's cube. I would yes. I was offered several things. I'm going to say six years ago ish. Mm -hmm. um, that I was my ego was flattered because I was sought after and I didn't have to audition. And Paul Page, you would be wonderful in this role. Will you please do it? Mm -hmm. Oh well, because of the title and the playwright name recognition, I went. Oh shit! I've always wanted to do. I can't be more specific, yeah. but in the end, about two, three weeks into it, I was like, "What am I doing?" And I had to have a conversation and say, "Okay, let's 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 come to a understanding." It it just takes patience. It takes compassion. It takes not sympathy. What's the word? Well, I guess empathy. Empathy, empathy to yeah. some respect, because. It's not a question of how many Earth years on the planet I've been compared to the directors. It also, I think, has to do with the experience level, the volume of um, it, your work that you've done. And then you, you're, I learned a lot about responding to something with the ego um, just because I was asked. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of things like that that yeah. happened to me. I'll just say in the last 10 years, where I kind of went, wow, this was really not what I expected it to be. Mm. And then I've had experiences where I went into it, again, being asked, didn't have to audition. Everybody loves that. Yeah. That doesn't happen a lot, but mm. it took a lot to get it going, and then it turned out, but once the show opened, it was amazing yeah. and so fulfilling and so thrilling. Death Trap at mm. Miner's Alley Playhouse was one of those with our dear... Daniel Langhoff. Mm. That's how I met Dan. Wow. Big ups, Dan. I, um, I kind of went into that with such reservation because I, I wasn't cast. And the way that came about is, do we, can we talk about that? Absolutely. Okay. So the way Death Trap came about was um, I had done a, a reimagining of um, Orwell's 1984 for Miner's Alley for Rick Bernstein in the fall of 2006. And while Death Trap was running, I mean, while two, uh, 1984 was running, mm. they were casting for Death Trap, but I didn't audition because mm. I thought, ooh, driving the Golden in the winter, and it opened at the beginning of January, and I was like, Ugh. Well, Rick Bernstein called me one day, and he had been cast to play Sydney, mm. the male lead. And after the read-through, they didn't even start rehearsal. They did a table read, and he called me the next day, and he said, I'm not up for doing, I'm not mm -hmm. up to do this. This is not me. I can only think of you. Would you please consider taking this? Can you be there tonight? <laughs> I was like, well, um, God, it's an amazing opportunity and great. You know, he told me who the other, I knew one of the other um, people mm -hmm. and worked with her before in another show. And so I took it, and it, I guess because I had, I, I, it was a wham-bam kind of, okay, you're starting tonight mm -hmm. thing, 
I literally met Dan and the rest of the cast um, that night, and it was just very rocky getting into. Mm-hmm. As we got closer to tech, Dan and I just were so connected, and we're like you and I. Yeah. We're so there with each other, and it was just really one of the highlights I would say in my time in Denver was Death Trap. Awesome. That's yeah, a great. I'm very grateful for that show and for meeting Dan. And then we just had this wham, bam, bam thing. We went from show to show to show to show. Like in two years, we did four shows at Arvada Center. And yeah, yeah I miss him. Mm-hmm. But he's here. Absolutely. I know he's here. Yeah, he's, he's not nice. going. The, the people that love him know that Daniel Langhoff isn't going uh, anywhere. Nowhere. Not at all. When anyway, you, was I rambling? No. Oh, okay. those, I mean, first of all, it's a podcast. The more you ramble, the better. Okay, good. Because they love, the, the audience enjoys my company, but they love my guests. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. I'm no, I, I, bring, I, bring out, I bring out the people they want to hear from. It's not usually me. Like, this thing I'm doing right now, they're like, oh, God, skip. Like, you can skip like, 15. again? Yeah, we can skip 15 seconds to the next part. <laughs> we'll be totally fine. Is he going to talk, talk about himself again? Yeah, he's probably is. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have a mic. What do you want from me? <laughs> anyway, so that's that's an amazing experience. I, I that that type of quick turnaround and how it unfolds in this rocky way, and then yet is still something so rewarding. Um, how you've been involved in a period of Denver theater that I I'm unfamiliar with. What are some of your favorite <laughs> memories? Like the nineties? Yeah. Yeah, so I moved here in 88. The first show I got cast in was A Christmas Carol at the Aurora Fox, hey. playing Bob Cratchit. Met, um, I don't even think anybody from that show is still around in the Denver theater scene. I did meet my now ex-wife in oh. that show. She was in the ensemble, and that's how we met. Kathy and I met. Um, and then... Um, I just started, I got into kind of a groove with the theater on Broadway. Do you remember them? Yeah, I do. They they, 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 Broadway and Elsewhere. Broadway and Elsewhere. I auditioned for them twice, Mm -hmm. and I was never invited to call back. So from 89 to 95, I did eight shows for them, including Six Degrees of Separation, which was an amazing experience. Deb Persoff and I, um, I did Orphans, playing Harold, (laughs) uh, when I was 35. Uh Uh-huh. I was 35 playing a 55-year-old character. Again, uh, I did a musical called Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down. It was a musical review, and we weren't. Oh. Uh, it was a very symbolic title. I'm very sad. Um, yeah. Um, but I did Boys in the Band. Uh, I did Death and the Maiden. Some really hard-hitting Steve Tangadol. Props to you for giving me that opportunity. And then I just decided... Um, my personal life was shifting there too. Kathy and I were separating and mm-hmm. I was kind of transitioning into some other stuff. And then out of the blue one day, somebody said, hey, you want to go to Arvada Center's auditioning for Moon Over Buffalo? Mm-hmm. There's several male roles in that. So I went with no expectation. Again, like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. and I got cast in Moon Over Buffalo. And that one one of that show was important for me not just because it was my first uh, contract with the Arvada Center. I was cast in a um, supporting role as the character of Richard, who's the lawyer for the leading lady mm. character. But 
as they do, as you know, at the Arvada Center, you're always understudying. If you have a, a supporting role, you're always covering one of the leads. So they hired me as Richard, but then I also was the understudy for George, the main character, played by our friend Paul Varillo. Hello. And that was one of the most unique experiences that I've ever had in theater. If I was writing a book, I would talk about that. Let's talk about Because in the, I believe it was the third week of the run. We were, it was when our Vada Center did longer runs, then mm. it was probably a five week or six week run. <clears throat> Literally, we were about halfway through the run. And on Saturday night, at the seventh show of the week, Rod Lansbury and Kathy Keene, who was the executive director then in the 1997, and Michael McGough, who was the stage manager, all pulled me aside in the hallway, in the back hallway, and said, Paul is having some vocal strain. Because the, I don't, do you know the play? No. He, he, he bellows and blusters and he's grand and he's over the top and a lot of, and you know, he's a, he's a blowhard. Mm -hmm. And Paul's voice is very raggy. I think we're going to have you go on tomorrow for the matinee. Will you be ready? And I said, yeah, I'm totally ready. It was so weird because I wasn't nervous. I was energized. And then literally after the show, this was at intermission mm -hmm. on our, our Saturday evening show. After the show, Paul came to me personally and said, are you, are you sure? Mm -hmm. Well, actually he said, are you sure? <laughs> You're going to be able to do this. And I said, absolutely. He said, I want to give you the opportunity because I know you're prepared. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I had a, um, as you know, 2 o'clock uh, curtain, one thirty call. They had me come in at 11.30. And this is how our friend Billy McBride is. This is who she is. Mm -hmm. She came in as the leading lady of the show, came in at 11.30 to work with me because Jeff Kent... Yeah, our friend, our friend who Jeff. better be listening. He better be um, subscribed to this. Was Jeff. the fight choreographer because yes. they're sword play. Mm -hmm. It's the scene. The play opens with them doing Roxanne. Oh yeah, and uh, or Cyrano rather, Cyrano. and Cyrano yeah. and Roxanne, and so there's a lot of sword play, mm -hmm. and there's a there's pratfalls, uh, and I had to fall into the orchestra pit onto a thing of mattresses. So all of that, Billy came in to work with me. We did the sword play. I mean, it was amazing. Next thing you know, they're calling half hour. Next thing you know, I'm at places. I never missed a beat, never missed a line, never missed a breath. And one of the coolest things I will never, ever forget as long as I live. So Billy and I then had the final bows as the two leads. We came off into um, stage left, into the wings, into the green room area. Mm -hmm. And the entire staff, from Rod and Kathy Keene, oh. and uh, whoever the publicity person was at the time, it wasn't Melanie, like the Arvada Center staff, were all standing oh. in the wings applauding me, and they had champagne for me. That's awesome. It was incredible. It was, talk about validating. Yeah. <laughs> I called Paul and I was like, how are you feeling? <laughs> you going to be okay on Tuesday? <laughs> You take, the rest ready. Of the, you take the rest of that you week You just off. rest that voice there, mm -hmm. dude. So totally. Yeah. That was awesome. Amazing experience. Really, really cool. And and I remember uh, Billy said, uh, saying to me, was that Billy? Somebody. In the, maybe it was an, uh, an, another one of the Andrew studies who, for that show, back then they had bigger budgets. They had hired only understudies that weren't in the show. They mm. would just sit in the back. 
said to me, well, you're going to be working here again. Mm -hmm. And I was. Yeah. They, and they gave me my equity card back. So I had, I had been equity in New York in the 80s, and then I dropped it. Mm. And I moved here because I kept going to auditions, just innocently going when I first moved here. And they would look at my resume and go, oh, we we're not you. seeing equity today. So sorry. Yeah. And then I went to the Denver Center year after year, and nothing ever came of that. So I thought, eh, bye-bye. Yeah. Let's put the Arvada Center Billy McBride mm -hmm. at the Arvada is directing um, As Bees in a Honey Drown. Bees and Honey Drown. As Bees in a Honey Drown. Ah. Douglas Carter Bean. Um, there was, it's, it was a cast of seven, and so they all had to be equity. Mm -hmm. So they said, if you take this, you got to also take your equity card. And I was like, yep, I think it's time. Okay. I think it's time. So now I have a, a nice little pension. Nice. to draw from in a couple of years. That's I'm not going to say how many. No, at least <coughs> Closer than, than Sam before he could draw his pension. Yeah, sure. <laughs> As I've, I've been putting into that for a long time. Oh, I have it. Oh, God. Just twist the knife even more so. <laughs> but I just have a whole new perspective this year, Sam. I mean, mm. I just really... we uh, Eugene and I produced... A sh I, so I've been getting into producing in the mm. last couple of years. Eugene and I have a... My husband, Eugene, for those that don't personally know me, and I have a production company, Ebner Page Productions, and um, he's a vocalist and I'm an actor, so we have produced seven fundraisers for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. um, eight, actually, now, because the last one we produced, it was in New York at mm -hmm. Joe's Pub. So we went out to, in February and produced a show, a show for Broadway Cares fundraiser. And raised about five thousand dollars in one night, and I think something happened to both Eugene and me where we just kind of went, "Yeah, it's kind of our time. This is where we need to be. This feels good. We both know the city so well, and we have so many friends and contacts there. And there's so many people here from Denver, Kevin Lowry, that mm -hmm. uh, I'm calling you out. I've been mentioning his name a lot today. He's a talented actor. And a good yeah, guy. he's a great guy. That's right. And we've seen a lot of him on, on stage at the Edge. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. <laughs> a lot of him. <laughs> oh, yes. Now yes. I know what you are referring to. No, definitely. John Moore also saw. Mm. So did my mom. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. It was a fun night. It was a fun night. <laughs> that was my knee that just hit the coffee table. I apologize uh, if it catches up. Not my up. head. It was not my as, head. No. I haven't passed out yet. No, he's still with us. What else do you want to know? Steve? Well, um, I think this is awesome. You... You have Eugene now, your husband. You've got the support in somebody this second go around to New York that you said was lacking the first time. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'd love to ask your <clears throat> perspective on acting. Did it change when you came out? Wow. So here's what's unique about me. I came out, went back in, mm. and came back out. Ah, I came out in the 80s during the AIDS crisis mm. in New and lived in New York City. And the first two men that I had intimate um, relationships, not relations, but relationships with, both got HIV, wow. which turned into AIDS, which killed them. Mm. So this poor fool, you know, at the age of 30, 31, I just went running back into the closet for fear. I wanted to live, and my family, um, I came out here to Denver 
to kind of start over after 10 years in New York because I was so fearful and it really took over. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that is why I came out here and stayed with uh, my father and his second family who I didn't know growing up. Mm -hmm. So I, I used it as a double uh, purpose to get to know my father and his uh, four children from his second marriage. And at that time, they were all out here. So I thought, well, this will be nice. I'll come back. But they are all lovely, wonderful, um, straight people mm -hmm. who had a lifestyle you know, of their own. And they did a lot of encouraging. Find a good woman. Settle down. You just need a normal life. Get this theater. Ugh, it's kind of wild and crazy. You're, you're, okay, you tried New York. You did it. You're done now. Settle down and, mm -hmm. and have a normal life. So I allowed it. I, I take full responsibility for um, allowing, the, or rather the fear kind of controlled the decisions. And that's why, you know, I met, that's how I met Kathy. And we had fun and she was great and enjoyable. And, and um, we had a good time, uh, hung out with a lot of, had a lot of friends. And then one thing just led to another. And I always wanted children. Mm -hmm. I always wanted, when I lived in New York as a, as a single actor, um, even doing television, I always, you know, I grew up in a house full of women, so mm -hmm. I, I grew up with equal parts maternal and paternal instincts. I'm, I've always been very nurturing, and I always had a lot of nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the oldest, but I'm the last in my family to have children. So I always loved only my brother's kids or my sister's kids or, you know, really bestowing a lot of love on them. So when the opportunity came up, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have kids. That's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Well, then, <clears throat> a couple of years later, it settled in like, God, I miss theater. Boy, I miss acting. Boy, I miss... And then I did a play, Six Degrees of Separation, which I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. which had a lot of gay characters mm -hmm. in it, played by gay actors. And they would want to go out to the bars after the show. And even though I was married and had a couple of little kids at home, I would and say, hey, I'm going to go with the cast. We're all going out. And it just started to feel, it started to feel more normal to mm -hmm. be out in that life. I was also, it, it literally, I was in rehearsal for Boys in the Band, which is, ironically, I don't know how well you know the show, the, the central character, it's an ensemble play, of course, but the central character, Michael, hates himself because he can't accept that he's gay mm -hmm. and his mother has shamed him. That's the role I was cast. Ah. So I was going through therapy and marriage counseling and rehearsing a play, playing <laughs> the central character who hated himself because he was gay and just couldn't accept it. Mm -hmm. So through all that, that said, I literally came out for good the month that I turned 40. Mm -hmm. So, And it was healthy with my ex and... Um, it was never really, she knew going in. I mean, she knew I was full disclosure. I did, we did the whole thing being tested and mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I just, um, I just finally had to accept who I really, really am. And I knew that that would help me be the kind of father I wanted to be, the kind mm -hmm. of actor I wanted to be. It opened me up a lot more emotionally um, to finally not be hiding that part of myself. It really did, that's a great question because that was the turning point for me. It was 1995, and I, there was no looking back. Mm -hmm. I, it, it really, really changed me for the better. 
And I was able to put the fear behind me and say, yeah, it's just fear. It's mm -hmm. not real. You just have to look at it and go, yeah, bye-bye. Um, it made a big difference. And it made a big difference. And that's it, not long after that is when I got Arvada Center mm -hmm. type stuff. So cool. that's yeah. awesome to see that, the, that it, for lack, and, and forgive me, because you're the one that went through it, but the word that I'm hearing coming to my mind is this acceptance of self yeah. and how that understanding and that acceptance of <laughs> what you needed and what you wanted and who you were shifting how your presence was. You went to these auditions at the Nevada Center without really thinking about it, like the outcome so much and just doing the work. Right. And then that opened up a whole new avenue of opportunities. Yeah. That's fantastic. Totally. Thank you. No, thank you for, for sharing yeah. that with me. It's always one of those things that's, I'm, I've known you for years. I've always been aware of who you were. It wasn't like, who's this Eugene that keeps following him right, around. Right, right. So it, it was nice to, I was, thank, thank you for sharing that story with me because that's deeply personal. And it, it can be, it, it, it can be something that we, we hide. Yeah. And I didn't, I'm, and it means a lot that you respected this Well, and place. I was ashamed. I wouldn't, not really ashamed because I thought it was bad. Mm -hmm. I just thought I had hurt her and I was concerned totally. about the development of my children mm -hmm. and their perception of me because it was never ever about having children mm -hmm. I just kind of you know hurt somebody in the process yeah. we've healed as a family we raised those kids as as mother and father mm -hmm. even though we weren't legally married we partnered equally with these kids and I think it's made a huge we came out to them when they were nine and ten we four mm -hmm. sat down and explained to them what it was nice. and this was a, when Will and Grace was just starting on television for the first time and so my kids associated that oh you mean you're gay like Jack yeah. I'm like, no I'm a little more like Will <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not as much like although give me a couple glasses of wine um, just Jack just, just Paul just Jack yeah so yeah thanks for bringing that up no I'm mm. not afraid to talk about it because if it inspires somebody who's mm. listening the message is be you do you awesome Full, full out. Thank you. That, that's a great segue into uh, how we usually wrap up our little, our little soirees here at the studio. Yeah. And what is the ghost light that you wish was left on for you when you came into the game? Or for a, la for a better phrasing, what's, what's that piece of advice you want to hand off to the next gen? In addition to don't fuck with the ghost light, leave it turned on. Keep it on. Um, I just think it's, once you find out who you really are, and some and everybody's journey is different. Everybody takes a different road. Mm -hmm. Just accept it and love yourself enough to to aspire to to do good works in the world, but do good work for you that works for you that that nourishes you and builds you up. Mm. And it, it, it's it's not selfish to really. It's like the the thing about on the airplane. You know, put on your oxygen mask first before. You know, you do have to really tend to your needs. I spent a lot of years worrying about other people and focusing on giving and doing and taking care of this. It's it's not really. I don't believe selfish to say what about me. Mm -hmm. So once you find out, who, my advice is for actors, young actors. Find your niche and zero in and hunker down and just don't give up. 
Just nice. keep your nose to the grindstone and stay with it. Okay. And also remember that there are no expiration dates on your dreams. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's fantastic. So thanks for having me. Thank you Samusa. for being. Yeah. Thank you, Papa Tiger. Um, it has been another fantastic episode of the Ghost Lights podcast. Our guest has been just Paul Page. <laughs> Paul Page. Thank you, Sam. No, thank you. I really appreciate you coming out here. Um, it's been a long time coming, and we make it happen. I'm glad we Definitely. did. Definitely. Hey, good luck on 2018. Expansion Thanks. all Expansion. the way. Expansion. That's the word. Definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are the Ghost Lights Podcast. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes. Follow us on Twitter. Tweet at me, bro. Um, also, make sure to tell your friends, your family, your loved ones that you love the Ghost Lights. Again, the song is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. We're out until next Monday. Stay tuned. JVB will be in the house.